Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zojo Talk podcast. I am Paul Lefevre, the Zojo developer evangelist, and my special guest this time is Michelle Bujardet, a name you might remember if you at all frequent the Zojo forums, because Michelle is our number one forum poster for, I'd say, about a year now. And uh, he has been using Zojo for a very long time, has a couple apps he sells here and there that we'll probably talk about. So, Michelle, welcome to Zojo Talk. Thank you for having me. Well, it's, it's an absolute honor to have uh, a celebrity such as yourself on, on Zojo Talk, someone who uh, I think I talked about this a little bit last year when I had Norman uh, Pilardi, a Zojo engineer, on Zojo Talk, because I think last year when he was on, he was the number one forum poster, but you have since uh, eclipsed him, passed him in the totals, and, and the lead just continues to grow. So you're famous, internet famous in that manner, because uh, pretty much everyone knows if you go to the forum, you ask a question, there might be an answer that will pop up pretty quickly from you. <laughs> so why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, your background? You know, what uh, what started you in programming? What started you down the path of using Zojo? What you use it for? That sort of thing. All right. Well, uh, you know, it all started in the very ancient ages. Um I came back, you know, from America around 82 or so. And the Sinclair ZX81 was the craze in France. I remember and, that was very popular in Europe. That that one was not too popular here in the U.S. But. No, I mean, a tiny machine, 50 bucks or so. And, uh, and, I mean, basically I said, okay, I'm going to buy one to see how that works. I had a background in, in electronics, so it, it was fairly, you know, fairly logical. Right. You know, so I, I buy this and I start punching in some basic. I mean, the Sinclair basic was kind of strange, but, uh, you know, I got this working and about, I mean, I don't know, about a couple weeks later, I had added tons of peripherals to the thing. And uh, programs in you know, machine language and assembler and stuff. And basically, I had overgrown that stuff. <laughs> it was, it was far beyond what it was made to be. So, uh, it was, was probably the summer of 82 or so. I uh, got some money from my grandmother. And rushed to the, to the first store that was selling Apple IIs and, uh, and got myself an Apple IIe. That's and, quite a jump from the tiny little Sinclair thing that, uh, you know, you could uh, fit in the palm of your hand to an Apple IIe, which weighed like 30 pounds or something like that. Right, with a huge screen, green screen I got and stuff. And basically, the, the thing is, you know, all that I had learned on the small machine was applicable to the big machine. And that was the start of, uh, of a thing that never ended <laughs> to this day. So uh, I started, of course, with uh, Apple stuff basic. Then the next year, uh, the PC was around. So I got myself the Panasonic uh, 9000 uh, compatible machine. Right. Uh, started, you know, with a basic A, or no, GW basic. Um, and basically, you know, I, I always kept to an Apple and, 
in a PC compatible machine on my desk ever since. So uh, when the Mac came around, I got a Mac. Uh, and by that time, I had become a computer journalist. So uh, I had tons of contacts. And it was very easy to, to, uh, to get new machines. And, um, I, you know, I, it's, it's kind of a logical path uh, from all these ancient times, basic, to uh, quick basic on, on the PC, right. uh, first compiler for basic, uh, basic. But there was a basic uh, thing. I don't know. IBM PC had a had a, a compiler, but only command line. So quick basic was the first real nice. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it had a little editor, and then from right from the editor, you could compile. So it was right. speedier. It was, it was right. you know, pretty revolutionary for the time, even though it was all DOS character-based. <laughs> yes, it was DOS character-based, mouse-enabled, but, but character-based. And uh, all naturally, I went to, uh, to Visual Basic, which was basically a quick basic with a, with a Windows interface. N nothing fancy. And okay, zoom zoom forward. Uh, around '93, I started to be real involved into my own business for for fonts, computer fonts, and used um, used Visual Basic real to to create apps that I was selling with the fonts. And Around, I, I guess it's around 2001 or so, I started hearing a lot of, of, about Real Basic. And uh, in 2002, I made the big plunge because I wanted to be able to, to develop for Mac. And uh, the, then I bought, I believe, the Real Basic 4.5, uh, got my application together in less than a week. Uh, ran so fine. I said, okay, I'm going to try having it run on PC. So I see how easy it is. But, and sure enough, it was terribly easy. So uh, that's when I left uh, Visual Basic behind. <laughs> and I've been using, uh, <laughs> I've been using uh, Real Basic and Zojo ever since. Ah, well, that, that about matches my time frame a little bit. It's the first time I saw Real Basic was 2001. But that was right after I got a Mac. So um, until then, I uh, was only using you know Windows PCs myself. Yeah, on the Mac, it was kind of a rocky... A rocky road until then, because, you know, the first Mac was uh, using Pascal. And... Uh, <laughs> They, they changed so much, you know, that it was very, very... I mean, at one point, I said, okay, I give up. And uh, so basically, when I came back, it was for real basic, because I knew it was it, it was an environment that was stable enough to, to deal with it. And, and sure enough, I mean, one of the things that amazed me most was the way uh, real basic went through all the motion of the Mac going from 16,000 to uh, PPC, PowerPC, and then from PowerPC to Intel, and um, from uh, Mac OS to, <laughs> to OS X. Yeah, that was the big one that grabbed me because 
at the time I was new to Mac and I had never used that older Mac OS because I didn't care for it. And the only reason I considered a Mac at the time was because OS X was coming out and I had read and studied a bit about OS X and I was impressed with that. It's like, I was like, oh, that's a real operating system, not this toy thing that, you know, all and half our people are with, say, you know, the old Mac stuff, you know, that wasn't serious. That was not nearly as good as Windows. And, and, and when I say that, I mean like the Windows NT stuff, not the Windows 95 stuff. I, I always use the, the Windows NT based, you know, real, you know, multitasking operating systems. And so when OS 10 was coming out, it was Unix based. I was very excited about that. So I, you know, I got a Mac. I never ran the old uh, Mac OS on my Mac. I booted into OS 10.0 and used that right from the get go. <laughs> yeah. But you know, that's, I mean, that's one thing, you know, uh, when, when OS 10 came around, I have lots of people around me, you know, saying, oh, uh, Windows is much better and is going to take over the world. I mean, it was already, <laughs> it was already a fact. And I said, okay, the only box today with Unix is a Mac. And it remained the only one. <laughs> There's no yeah. other <laughs> Well, I mean, Linux is that. But, I mean, a desktop that runs Linux, you know, every year is, quote, the year of desktop Linux. But desktop Linux never really makes it anywhere. But, you know, Macs are the real desktop Linux or desktop Unix machines that you can buy these days. and. And I, I, I remember my dad, the same thing. He worked for a, a government contractor for many years before he retired. And he always used Unix on site. And uh, he was the same as me when the Max came out and all of a sudden they have Unix. He's like, I got to get me one of those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, to me, that was really the innovation. Uh, the, I have to admit, you know, the first Mac was really a talk. <laughs> <laughs> it was impossible to do anything. <laughs> yeah, I've never, I never used one of those old ones. So, what do you think of the news that popped up this week? Microsoft's having uh, their build conference, and they announced that they're going to be putting not necessarily Unix on Windows, but the the Unix Bash shell is going to be now available on Windows as a. I, I guess it's not going to replace the command shell, but it's going to be some sort of supplement there. So, well, uh, what's this? What's this thing? There is a uh, a uh, th there is already a Unix shell for Windows. I cannot remember the name of it, but there is one. Yeah, this yeah. one's now going to come with the default installation, though. So that seems like a pretty big change for Microsoft too, because I mean that'll make this a lot of the scripting that people tend to do more compatible. I guess it still seems like it'll be a bit of a puzzle, just because on a file system management side, Windows seems to be a, rather different than Unix. So, <laughs> Well, uh, the, the first thing I, I can think of is uh, Windows doesn't really have permissions. I don't know how they're going to implement uh, chmod. Right, yeah, some stuff like that. Yeah, stuff like that. I mean, I mean you've obviously got the different this in the the separator character windows is using the backslash and unix uses the forward slash that's that's not uh i mean on the pc i recently tried it, it takes the the forward slash very nice oh it does i've never tried that i just you know it old habits die hard it under windows 10 it works <laughs> 
That is good. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see that. Supposedly that's going to show up in the next version of Windows 10 that I guess they're going to be pushing out sometime this summer. Be oh, I should have it soon. Is I'm part of the Insider program, so... Yeah, maybe it'll show up earlier. I have a couple. I have a VM that has Windows 10 running that uh, fast Insider build or something like that, whatever they call it, where no, I, you know, I'll get the latest updates. And then I also have a general Windows 10 VM that you know runs the release stuff. And I don't go to the Insider one nearly as often. Usually, when I do, you know, it, I boot it up and then it, it runs for another hour doing all the updates. But it's terrible. <laughs> I mean. They had, I mean, not this release, but the release last week uh, was full of little bugs. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I call them relapses. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's, I mean, uh, one of the bugs that comes back very regularly is you cannot eject any USB drive. <laughs> You go to the little thingy, they eject. They say, no, because I'm busy. It's stuff. It's still using it. They say, stop it. I'm, I'm using this. I mean, Windows is amazing. I mean, I, I, it's a heuristic mechanism. <laughs> Let's create a bug and fix it. I mean, it's, it's, I don't know. It's so fun. That said, I think it's a fantastic platform because uh, as compared to the old Windows, the old, you know, general public one. Uh, I think they learned a few a few lessons and the thing is kind of, is kind of more stable, more professional. But, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't mind Windows 10, but I mean, I've always been, uh, you know, kind of a dual platform guy. You know, I've, I use Windows for a long time, but I always like to try out operating systems too. As people that listen to the podcast know or have run into me, you know, my virtual machine list in VMware Fusion has 20 or 30 VMs. I've got a lot of Linux VMs too that I, you know, play with, test, install. I've got a lot of versions of Windows that are installed. I've even in the in the past have used OS2. Oh, yes. IBM's OS2. Very good I mean, sister. <laughs> I loved OS2, and the first jobs I had was making a DOS database app out of college. And uh, our computers had Windows 3.1, if I'm remembering correctly. That's right. And I remember I didn't care for that. Uh, You know, that was, you know, the UI for that was nasty because they were still litigating with Apple, so they had to make it look a little different. And it was really unstable because it was like a shell that ran on top of DOS. Mm And I remember OS2 came out a little while after I started, and it was a fully preemptive multitasking operating system that could run DOS apps without any trouble and also had a Windows emulation layer. Yeah. So this was a tiny little company, so I didn't have to you know, go through layers of approval to do things. So I was able to just check with our IT person and said, hey, I'm thinking about putting OS2 on my computer. Uh, I'll still be able to do all my work. Is that a problem? And she said, as long as I don't got to support it, go crazy. And uh, I was like, all right, I'm on it. So I, I remember I got OS2. It must have came on like 20 floppy disks at least. And I went in one weekend and set up my computer to run OS2. And I did that for a, quite a while. But I mean, I think it was less than a year because OS2 didn't really last long. Well, it uh, it lasted and uh, it was, I believe the last version is Warp and Warp 2. And it lasted until about Windows 95, maybe a little late. Yeah. 
That's about, yeah, I had the warp version. The problem was when Windows 95 came out, it added the Win32 programming interface. So you could have 32-bit Windows apps. And warp could only emulate 16-bit Windows. So as we were starting to upgrade our apps and our tools to do 32-bit Windows, warp quickly became of little use because I couldn't run anything. <laughs> so I had to switch. But when I switched from Warp, I did not switch to Windows 95. I switched to Windows NT. Yeah. So I, I never really used the old DOS-based versions of Windows. You know, I, have, I suspect very much that this is your, the journalist talking. You know, uh, when uh, um, Microsoft and IBM joined together to create uh, a new version of, uh, of, of an OS, and basically Microsoft was supposed to distribute OS2. And I believe, I may be, it may be a wild guess, but uh, there are many things in NT that looked terribly much like OS2. No, and I always suspected there was some kind of osmosis. <laughs> well, they definitely were working together. I've read a few biographies in history about this, and Microsoft and IBM were definitely working together on OS2, which was really intended to be the next big windowing operating system. But partway through that project, there was a difference of philosophy. And then Microsoft started to say, you know, we don't like the path this is going down. We prefer the path we've started with on Windows. So they started to break apart. And then eventually they broke apart completely. And Windows ended up winning. But yeah, there was a lot of similarities because they started from a similar point. And I'd say it's more of the Windows NT OS 2 yeah. is where the, a lot of the similarities lie. Yeah, you know, Even some files have the same name. <laughs> oh, I've never noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, at the time, I was, I mean, I, I never could get a real hard fact. But that was the kind of thing behind my mind. I was, okay, there is, there is something here that's, that's strange. And well, time passed by. <laughs> All right, well, switching back from the, the old archaic okay, days yes. of OS 2. So, uh, you're now using Zojo. You started in the early 2000s using... I'm just going to stick with the term Zojo rather than uh, referring to its multiple names. It's too many syllables for me to keep repeating. Um, and you've been using that through the years, essentially rebuilding or migrating or doing new apps using it. And uh, that sound accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I, as I mentioned at the, the top of the podcast, so at this point you have you have a couple apps you're selling, right? Is that <laughs> yes. About 17. About 17, in, right. Yes. In the Mac App Store, plus a few others on my websites. But, uh... And uh, I think I've, I've heard you talk about on the forum. So you primarily have stuff in the Mac App Store. Do you also have stuff in any other app stores, Windows App Store or anything else? Yes, I have about six apps in the Windows Store. But they're not created with Zojo. Because uh, so far, Zojo cannot, I mean, Zojo doesn't support the new application model. And uh, I'm waiting for what's been promised last year. Um, Windows is going to release uh, the bridges. And they already released the iOS one and the uh, Android one. That allow people who have developed uh, iOS apps and Android apps 
to run them under the new uh, uh, Windows application model. And we shall have that for Win32 applications this year. Yeah, I've read a little bit about that. I didn't realize, I guess I didn't realize that wasn't out yet. But yeah, so that'll allow you to use Win32 to make essentially the the newer type apps that yeah. they they have primarily in the store. How does, how's the traffic on that store? Is that... It's, it's uh, about, I mean, uh, I haven't checked recently, but uh, when I released uh, back in 2013... The traffic was about 20 times less than the Mac App Store for the same titles. So it was a dismal failure. Um, since Windows 10 has been around, it's, it seems to be uh, growing. Uh, I, I couldn't say really, I mean, I haven't made a tally of it, but it's, it's really, it's, it's growing, it's visibly growing. So I'm pretty confident when they have the bridge for Win32, uh, I will port a few apps that were too difficult to port uh, directly. I will do it in Zojo, bottle them in the bridge, and then see how it, how it goes. Yeah, that makes sense. I suspect that Windows 10 is probably what's helping with this. Is it certainly seems like Windows 8 didn't get... Uh, a lot of the adoption, and that's primarily where the Windows Store first became more prominent. And if a lot of people weren't using Windows 8, then they're not going to know. It's not even the question of prominence. It didn't exist before. Oh, well, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So the biggest biggest installation, which is uh, Windows 7, cannot access the Windows Store. How stupid is this? I mean... That that is yeah, because even Apple when they put out the Mac App Store, they they made it backwards compatible to I think ten point six, one of the ten point six versions. Yeah. So basically, the the thing is, they decided the Windows Store was only going to have the new application uh, model. So uh, there was no way to have the uh, Win thirty two and .NET apps in there. The only thing that they accepted, or also reluctantly, was to list <laughs> uh, regular desktop applications. And even then, since Windows 10, now they have taken them off the Windows Store. Oh, really? There is no way out of uh, universal Windows uh, programs anymore. Interesting. Well, we'll see how that progresses on that front. Windows is always changing and tweaking things, so there's always stuff to stay on top of. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty confident, you know, as soon as we have the bridge uh, to to be able to package Zojo apps, it could be a tremendous venue for, uh, for Zojo developers. Because, I mean, basically, you know, Zojo already supports uh, touch. You know, I mean, I know you got the Sharp uh, tablet, a Windows tablet. I mean, Zojo works right away with it. So uh, it's it's fairly easy to design uh, very nice applications in Zojo for Windows Touch. So I guess, you know, it. I mean, I'm expecting... uh, to, to be able to make good money there, basically. Some of the apps I have in the Mac App Store 
but very nicely played. Oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, that's that'll be a key thing. I mean, make making it easy to distribute and sell your software is important. I mean, anyone can make an app, but if you got to go through the hassle of creating your own website and your own payment system and then getting the word out there, a lot of people might not bother. But if there's a simpler store that you can just build your app and kind of push it out to, that helps a lot of people. Uh, so the Zojo Forum, that uh, our forum kicked off with the release of Zojo back in 2013, and it's been obviously very, very popular. And now you're you're in Europe, you're in France, mm-hmm. and I think that's that, that's probably the secret because you know there's a lot of people that use Zojo that are in the U.S., but you have this head start on them, you know, by several hours. So you're able to like see all these questions and answer them. But how is it that you're able to stay on top of the questions that come through, and then like and and it's not like you're replying with, you know, these little phrases or two-word answers. You often have very thoughtful, well-written little answers that are entirely relevant to and help people out. How is it that you're able to do that? Well, it's, I mean, I have to admit, I am a pure computer geek. You know, I mean, I have no life. <laughs> very- <laughs> I'm a, I'm a science fiction fan, I'm a computer fan, and I feel more comfortable with machines than with people. So now, now I say this. The thing is, well, I, I think you could say that about all of us, but. <laughs> yeah, let's go friends in the family. But the thing is, you know, I have, I have the forum on my screen, and, you know, I, I'm doing my stuff. I'm trying to <laughs> to solve my online things for the program. And very often, you know, I read the question. And I say, okay, that's an interesting thing. You know, and basically, it all starts by this is challenging enough for me <laughs> to give it some thought. And you know, my 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 delight is to find some approach that hasn't been found before. <laughs> Very often, I, you know, the, 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 the pleasure of finding another approach uh, makes me write the stuff. <laughs> that's, that's so much. That's so, only so much. Most people will try to, uh, to give recipes, you know, I like to invent recipes. <laughs> yeah, I definitely say most of my responses will be, you know, pointing people to some reference or obviously because I work on all the documentation to existing documentation that will explain to them how to do what they're asking rather than try and reinvent the wheel because that's more time consuming. Uh, and I tend to break my forum. You know, I, I'm very regimented in how I you know, chunk up my time. So I'll have, you know, all right, this is my allotment of morning time where I'm looking in the form and afternoon time when I'm looking in the form and otherwise I'm doing other things and I don't keep an eye on the form or anything like that. And so you'll see me, I'll have like a flurry of things I'll answer for this period of time. And then I'll have like the, a bunch of the top posts cause I quickly answered a bunch of stuff. And then I may not show up there for hours later cause that's you now it has to wait for my next block of time. So <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I, I see a lot of people who do the same I do, and I see a lot of people doing what you do. I mean, uh, it's I guess we all have different uh, schedules and way of doing things. I, I have to admit also, 
writing in a forum or trying to help people takes me out of my, you know, my, my little things, you know, I'm, uh, I'm usually writing my own apps, but, you know, when you get too much involved into some coding, you start seeing nothing, <laughs> you get lost. And thinking about something entirely else, you know, it's, it's a way for me to relax from that. And when I come back to what I was doing before, usually I have the solution. <laughs> well, let's talk about that for a moment, because in general, that is a, that's a brilliant little tip to, to give to people in general, is if you're coding away and you're just frustrated and stuck on something, the best solution is often not to just power through it and to just keep working on it. The The best solution is often to drop it and do anything else. And if that is going to the forum and just reading or helping people answer utterly unrelated questions, that's something else. Or, you know, reading a general article on something, on anything, that that's something else. But I've found that just dropping it and coming back to it later and you look at it and you're instantly like, you know how to solve it. You're like, oh, yeah, just going to do this. Or how could I possibly have not seen that, you know, yesterday or two hours ago? It, it's amazing, that little piece of advice, how well it works. I see people that will just power through it. And they end up wasting hours of their life. <laughs> not making any progress. <laughs> but that happens to me. I mean, um Usually the bad thing is, you know, when I reach midnight and I'm still coding and I'm, I'm get, I get stuck and I start trying things, you know, and actually I'm messing it up badly. <laughs> and the next morning when I look at it, I say, how can I have done that? And I'm not drinking, I'm not getting drugs, you know, but I'm basically getting stuck. And usually I, you know, I will go back three or four versions <laughs> before I had done all that mess. It works. But, uh, you know, that's really getting way too involved into something that never works. It has to, to, in, to smell the roses, as it were. <laughs> yeah, yeah, coming up for air, you know, just taking a breather, a thinking. Because programming is primarily about thinking. You have to think and understand what you're trying to do. It's not about banging out code per se. If you don't know what you're trying to do, you don't understand it. You can write all the code in the world. It's not going to work. <laughs> and <laughs> so sometimes it, it's better to just not be even typing code, but to instead, you know, lean back and ponder the problem you're trying to solve or, or even take a break from the problem so you can come back to it with uh, fresh eyes, fresh brain. And see how it works. I, I also, uh, also get, when I get real lost, I take a walk. And, you know, Paris is a, is a walking city. Uh, so, I mean, very often, yeah, I just walk and I, yeah, and I, and I sort of think about it, but uh, enjoying the walk as well. And when I come back, usually I have the solution. <laughs> very nice. That's a... Uh... A good health tip from uh, Zojo Talk here is take a break, take a walk. Yes, and we are, aren't we too, uh, I mean, that's, that's one of the defects of being a programmer. I mean, we tend to be very sedentary and not having enough exercise. <laughs> At least walk yeah. good for the heart. <laughs> yeah, walking's definitely good. And yeah, well, it's easy. I mean, you get into this 
this path where you're working on something and all of a sudden you just utterly lose track of time. And, and then the first thing you know, you haven't moved for hours because you're just working through this problem and you're just so focused on it. And cause you're in a groove, you're not stuck. You're, you're making great progress and you're just plowing ahead. And then all of a sudden you look up and like, Oh, Holy cow. I've been, I haven't moved. I've been doing this for hours. And, and you know, that, that's, that's a great feeling to get that much accomplished, but it's also, you know, not entirely healthy if you do that all the time. So, yeah. It's, it's tricky to find a balance, but yeah, being able to get outside. Certainly here in the Northeast U.S., we're waiting for spring to arrive. And uh, today, the temperature is actually supposed to be reaching 60s Fahrenheit. That would be what for you guys, like uh, 15, 16 well, Celsius? That's much better than what we have today. <laughs> I mean, okay. Uh, let me see, five. Oh, that's, that's, that's the 50s, small 50s. <laughs> <laughs> so you got to be yeah. weather than we do. <laughs> yeah, well, this is an outlier. I mean, they're they're saying at this point in the next couple of days it's going to get cold again, probably snow. And I'm like, seriously, maybe you guys are all uh, you know pranking us or something. But no one wants to see snow as you're starting to roll around in April, no matter where you live. I don't think. So. Yeah, where are you located anyway? I am in the Northeast U.S. in Maine, which is oh. I'm about six hours uh, northeast of New York City and uh, a couple hours north of Boston. Yeah, so that's real cold. <laughs> it can get cold. I'm right near the ocean. I'm probably a couple miles from the ocean, which helps stabilize the temps here in the winter, generally speaking. I mean, because ocean water doesn't really get, you know, to freezing, really. So it can keep the temperature a little more moderate than if you, you just go inland, you know, a distance. And then by the time you get to the mountains or something like that, that's where it gets cold. And, you know, there's a lot of snow. But here by the water, you know, that helps. It, it hurts us in the summer. <laughs> you, What's that? You've got the lobsters in Maine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the lobsters in Maine. That, that's probably our big call to flame, uh, fame is uh, lobsters, which, I mean... I like lobsters, I guess, but I don't see the grand appeal. It's not like it's my favorite food. They're kind of chewy. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> they're ugly as heck. Is okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but uh, people, you know, people come to Maine in the summers for tourists, and it's like, we're gonna get good lobster. We're gonna get good lobster. And like, I don't know. I wouldn't pick lobster, but you know, whatever. <laughs> well, you got one. Well, you must have also oysters over there. Yes, lots of oysters here. I don't care for oysters. Well, you know, I'm uh, yeah, French. I'm able to eat anything. So. <laughs> so you this year are going to be uh, attending our XDC conference in uh, October. Yeah. And is this your first one? Yeah. Yes, it is your first one. You're also going to be speaking. Uh, yes. You want to uh, give people a little teaser as to what you're going to be talking about? Well, basically, the title of the thing is... Uh, um, responsive design for desktop and web. And uh, I intend to give uh, some tips and tricks about how to, uh, to get an app to run just the same and just well on uh, a small, tiny tablet uh, up to a 5K screen. And, uh, and you're talking how to get the UI to essentially adapt to those different sites. Indeed. Uh, it's it's more familiar to uh, to people who do HTML and stuff, but it's it's not that difficult to obtain in Zojo. 
So I want to basically to start by the beginning, the locking system, and work out to uh, to, to more elaborate methods. But uh, mm-hmm. I believe it's it's going to be very important because, uh, especially for Windows developers, tablets are here. So uh, it's very important. Uh, right. Oh, I mean, Microsoft sells a tablet now. I mean, they sell actual hardware that's running Windows. They haven't done that before. Right. And, and, uh... and that means, I mean, our UI cannot stay old-fashioned. It has to be able to adapt to these machines. As Windows is concerned, their, their UI is no longer 3.1. It's uh, something that gets real close to iOS. It's, you know, between the flat look and the, the rest. It's, I mean, we have to leave behind the old controls and we have to be, to be conscious about what a modern UI is. And I believe it's the same for people who encounter iOS. I mean, <laughs> even if I see desktop and web, it's also true that I read all too often people getting totally lost with uh, with auto layout. <laughs> then I mean auto layout is already available with RubberViews WE that I provide for the web, and I see a lot of people using it. So uh, it's only a matter of getting used to the concept. And, 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 and as a matter of fact, I think, you know, uh, desktop will not evade responsive design forever. I mean, I, I don't know if there will ever be an OS X, uh, an OS X uh, tablet, but uh, yet, I mean, between, between a uh, 1280 by 800, uh, pixels and a 5k screen right well that's it that's the thing too with the the retina displays that are so prevalent on macs now i mean that requires some thinking too from your design standpoint because you know i know you know some of the, some of the youngins will be like oh i'm gonna get me one of these uh, 4k 5k displays and they'll run them in tiny mode so they can you know fit more stuff on the screen right and I don't know about you, but I can't run it in that tiny mode because I can't see anything. <laughs> and sure, I mean, so I run it. I run it in the high resolution mode, and that requires you know thinking about how you want stuff to scale and align and things like that. And and yeah, the uh, the screen sizes are all over the map. I mean, Apple's got their tiny little MacBook mm-hmm. that has a, a pretty small Retina screen, and then you've got the other laptops. And it, and it's unfortunate that you know. Right now, there's desktop and mobile, but desktop encompasses the laptop screens essentially. But mm-hmm. people don't people that have laptops, and that's the majority of people, don't refer to them as desktops really all the time. And some laptops, particularly Windows ones, you can like twist and flip, and all of a sudden they're a tablet. So, <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 you know, I think one of the, one of the main revolutions I tried to explain actually on the forum, and I see lots of people understanding it is that we don't we no longer have the luxury to keep the the good old way of doing things you know it's still it may still work today but tomorrow youngsters i mean youngsters don't discover computers they discover this they discover phones (laughs) 
I mean, touch interface. It, you know, pretending that we're going to live forever with the old interface and the mouse and stuff is short-sighted. You know, I mean, we're going to live soon in a world where lines will be blurred. And, you know, as I said, Windows and iOS converge. I mean, it's not apparent to everybody, but I mean, I, you know, I'm very familiar with the, the uh, human interface guidelines for iOS and the design guidelines for Windows 10. I mean, <laughs> they're very, very, very close. So, really? I mean, it, it's no longer a luxury. I think, you know, any app has to be responsive. <laughs> It's, it's not. It's no longer a choice. It's a. It's a must. And, and I'm, you know, I intend to show that it's not that difficult. It's not that terrible. Makes some efforts, sure. But, um, I, I mean, the rewards can be very nice. So, I mean, come on. I mean, when people, you know, when one of the tremendous things, you know, I talked about the Windows Store. The Windows Store. You cannot place a plain out of the box desktop app there. <laughs> because people will find them yucky, old, and they won't buy. I mean, it, right, yeah, it won't, it won't, uh, it'll stand out, but not in a good way. And- right, you know, people will say, what's that junk? And, and the fact is, reworking the UI is not that difficult. Once you have an app that works, I mean, I, I, I did the work for Check Writer. I mean, it's it's an app that's night and day when you take the old-fashioned design and the new design, and it's it's still the same engine, it's still the same logic. So, you know, it's, I, I mean, it's been working my brain for a while. <laughs> I need to get it. Well, it sounds like it. That's uh, that's a uh... That's more of a teaser. This gives people a great uh, it, bit of insight into why they're going to want to attend that session to, uh, to get some tips about that. And I bring up your session in XTC in general because I think it was uh, very recently, last week or so, where we posted the schedule, the, the not really the schedule, but the, the list of sessions mm-hmm. that are XTC. So we've notified all the presenters and we now have a list of sessions. You can see who's presenting, what the session topics are. And for XTC 2016, we have a pretty large list of people that are first-time presenters, like you, Michelle. And uh, this is great. A lot of new topics that haven't been done before, so it's kind of a snazzy, fresh, new approach to stuff. You're not going to hear a topic that's been at the last three XTCs. There's a lot of new topics covering different things by different people, so... Definitely, I'll have the actual link to that in the show notes for the podcast, so you can click on that and take a look at the full schedule and uh, register away. Uh, as Dana likes to remind me, we're already over 50% for registration. We're a bit of ahead of uh, our typical rate, um, and there is an upper limit. Uh, it can sell out where we can't accept new people, so if there's something there that interests you, sign up sooner rather than later, of course. All right, well, I think... We've probably covered quite a bit in this Zojo Talk. I want to thank you, uh, Michelle. This is Michelle Bujardet, forum poster extraordinaire. 
Thank you for being on Zojo Talk. Thank you. And have a great day, everyone.